0: Well, oh, good morning. It's wonderful to see everyone on this Lord's Day, and uh, <clears throat> if it's your first time, uh, we've been going through uh, Matthew chapter one for the last few weeks. So, starting in th- this month and finishing on Christmas Day, which is next next week, next Sunday, uh, we are just doing the first two chapters of Matthew's Gospel. So, this Advent period, we're looking at what the Bible says. About the coming of Christ. Previous two weeks, we looked at the genealogy from different perspectives, different emphases that Matthew was trying to get across, and and uh, many of you were encouraged by that and helped. And st- again, to see that the genealogies are actually incredibly rich, uh, not something to be skipped over, uh, but there are there are nuggets within the the genealogies. Today, we're going to look at. The through 25. So I'm not going to read it because it was was already read for us. Uh, And this section looks at the the coming of Christ and and what happened, the conception of Christ from really the perspective of of Matthew, which is quite different. Uh, We are very familiar with Mary's Side Luke goes into Mary's side of things, and Mary has been focused on tremendously throughout church history, sometimes in an inappropriate way. Uh, but it is right that we honor her. She must have been an amazing woman and uh, suffered many things. And, uh, but we're familiar with Mary's side. You can go and Google carols and see how often Joseph is mentioned. Uh, not, not very much, okay? Uh, We don't really think much about Joseph, and the scripture doesn't mention a a lot about him, but Matthew here comes at the coming and the announcement of Christ and the conception of Christ from from Joseph's perspective. And so I want us to look at this passage under three headings, and they all begin with D. So, uh, decent, disrupted, and delivered. Decent, disrupted, and delivered. And they're all about uh, Joseph. So look at verse 18. It says uh, Matthew says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So Matthew is is after the genealogy. He's now going to say this is how the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ took place, which seems sort of a strange thing to say. Like, uh, and you know, why do you have to tell us about the birth of someone? That's pretty common, but. If you don't know, the birth of Jesus Christ is absolutely unique. Uh, There is no other birth like it, and there will never be another birth like it. And so Matthew is saying, this is not an ordinary birth. The coming of Christ is something radically different. He goes on to say, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before they had come together in sexual union, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So they were betrothed we would say engaged, but betrothed in first century Israel was much stronger than our engaged. In fact, if you broke a betrothal, it was called a divorce. Okay, so it wasn't the same as if today if people are engaged and then they say, no, I I want to put a stop to this. We would not say, oh, you've divorced that person. But in first century Israel, when when they were betrothed, there was sort of a, a year period in which the, the groom would go and prepare a home for his wife, and then she would obviously keep herself and wait, and, and there's lots of parables and stories in the scriptures that flesh out what this looks like, and then at a certain time he would go and fetch her, and then there would be the, the marriage feast, the celebration, and he would bring his wife to his home that he spent the last year preparing for her. So it was a very important thing to be engaged. It was almost equivalent to being married, and they took it very seriously. So it was a divorce if you broke an engagement. And so we're told here that before they've come together, before their marriage has been consummated, she is pregnant. But we're told that this is not an ordinary pregnancy. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so this is why Christmas is so important, why we remember this, is because the coming of Christ is absolutely unique. We call it the incarnation, literally the enfleshment. Okay, carnivore, someone who eats meat. Uh, Carne, incarnation, Christ puts meat upon himself. He takes flesh upon himself. He becomes a human being like us. That's why he has a human mother. Mary is physically the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is something different about him. He does not have a physical father. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit in a supernatural, miraculous way because he is also God. And also there needs to be a break with the line of Adam. Uh, it seems that sin is inherited. The sin nature is inherited through the father. The father. And so that's why scripture will, you know, we say, but Eve, Eve was the one who sinned first. Uh, But scripture doesn't put the blame on Eve. The scripture puts the blame on Adam. It says Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned willfully. And so the scripture says we all died in Adam. And Christ then is, there's a break. He is a new Adam. Paul uses that language, a new humanity. And it's remarkable to note throughout Scripture, whenever we see the Holy Spirit involved in the creation of something, it is something new and something beautiful and good. So think of creation itself. We're told in Genesis chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. There's a description of this dark primordial flood over the whole earth. It is chaotic, without beauty, without light. But the Holy Spirit is there hovering, and he begins to create. And every day we're told it was good, it was good, it was good. He creates something beautiful. And then sin enters in, and then again we see the flood going back, this process of decreation, returning things to Genesis chapter 1. But then again, uh, in your Bibles it will say the wind, uh, wind blew, but in Hebrew and in Greek, uh, the word for wind and spirit is the same. Ruach in Hebrew and Pneuma in, in Greek. And so again, the Holy Spirit is there and brings order and beauty again. Starts off again, a new creation. And here we see, we see the Holy Spirit hovering over Mary, conceiving something new, something glorious. In fact, a new humanity, what the church fathers called the third race. Neither Jew nor Gentile, but Christian. Start of something new. And then we see later on in Acts, the book of, uh, the book of Acts at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit creates the New Testament church, doesn't he? Uh, and if you, when, you be, when you're saved, it's because of regeneration. The Holy Spirit has made you spiritually alive and created something new in you. You're a new creation. And so here we see the Holy Spirit at work And so Christ comes, and uh, he's not just a great man, as we saw last week. He's not some guru. He's not some uh, guy, cult leader, who just was charismatic and just, you know, thought, hey, I'll get a group of people to follow me. He was a fulfillment of centuries of prophecies, prophecies that no human being could wish fulfill. You can't plan when you'll be born. You can't plan where you'll be born. But God was in control of all of those things. And the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, but only one person, okay? So this is important. The Early church spent centuries wrestling over these these issues, and you say, well, it's not really important. It's very important. If you don't get this right, you don't get the gospel right. We say that he was two natures, but the natures were not mingled, so that Jesus was not a mixture of God and man, like a superman, okay? Very important. If he was a superman, how can he empathize with you what you're going through? Okay. How, how, can he, how can he understand what it is to be tempted? You would, say, you would simply say, Lord, you don't understand. You were Superman. It was easy for you. You just... <laughs> Things just bounced off you, you know? Like Superman, the bullets just bounce off him. We would just say, you, you have no idea what it's like to be human. You don't know what it's like to suffer. You don't know what it's like to... Uh, Uh, experience weakness and fatigue and depression and all of those things and yet the, the bible says no no he does because he was fully human and the two natures were not mingled that's why many christians wonder how is it when they ask jesus when is the end of the world he says i don't know remember that he says i don't know you say wait a minute i thought he was god surely he knows everything no in his human nature he did not know As God, he knew perfectly, but because the natures were not mingled, he didn't tap into his divine nature, so that he truly knows what it is to to be like you and me, that he had to study. He had to learn how to read and write. It wasn't just, (laughs) I know everything. Uh, He had to learn. He had to grow. Luke tells us he grew in stature. He grew in favor. He grew in understanding. Now, that's a tremendous encouragement. Uh, it should be, because it means when you pray to him and say, Lord, I'm going through this, the writer of Hebrews says he knows, he understands. Okay? We know that. We know that feeling. When you talk to someone who doesn't have a clue what you're going through, you know people are very, can be very flippant. Well, just pull yourself together, man. <laughs> I always get afraid when, when uh, I hear people say that, because I think the Lord is going to take you through something. So you learn not to say stupid things like that. (laughs) Okay. So don't say that. You might think it. Control yourself. Uh, But when you meet someone who has, you know, when someone has lost a parent, for example, and then you meet someone who says, I've also lost a parent. I know what it's like. Or a loved one. Or a child. Or whatever it is. There is a connection, isn't there? And so it is in the gospel that there is a connection with our Savior because he was fully human. And yet he's much more than that. He is fully God. So he is able to save us. And so the coming of Christ is not an ordinary conceptional birth. It is supernatural. And then look at this, verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, the Bible in many places does not go into detail. It will just say things. Um but we can use a bit of poetic license, I'm sure. Can you imagine? I don't know how Joseph found out if Mary came to him and said, You know what, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but it's by the Holy Spirit. What did that conversation go like? <laughs> what are you talking about, Mary? Uh, what? <laughs> uh, I'm not an idiot. Uh, It must have been incredibly painful. Maybe maybe she started to show and people were saying, wait a minute, what's going on here? But look at how he responds. He's a just man. The NIV translates it like this. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, just something that we can learn here from Joseph. He's wrong. (laughs) He's wrong here in this situation. But his principles are right. Something for all Christians. Notice that he does not uh, say, "Ah, it doesn't matter. Uh, You know, if she had really sinned. He doesn't say, "Ah, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. He is faithful to the law. He knows that there must be boundaries and consequences to sin. And yet justice is always, should always be mixed with mercy. Notice how he, he says that he doesn't want to put her to shame. He doesn't want to destroy her. And that's how Christians should be in our relationships with others. There are sins that we overlook, definitely. But as Christians, we're not called to overlook every sin. That's not being a Christian. Some Christians think that. You never confront sin in anyone or any situation. You just keep quiet and that's the end of it. That's, un- that's not right. right. We are those who love God's law and are faithful to his law. But if we're vindictive and nasty and vengeful, that's ungodly. We might be right with respect to the law, but notice how he responds graciously. So always remember that. Justice and mercy going together. And of course we see that in the cross most perfectly. And so he was a decent man. A righteous man. One who followed the Lord. But, verse 20, As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the next point is disrupted. Okay, Uh, uh, Joseph is called here the son of david he's the only other person apart from jesus christ in matthew's gospel who is called the son of david and remember i said last week that this genealogy shows the legal right of christ to be the messiah it he had to come he had to be adopted by joseph remember adoption means you gain all the rights and privileges okay uh, of the of the the father you give given the name, you have given everything. And so he is legally, Jesus Christ is legally the Messiah from the, the son of David, from the line of David. But his whole life is now disrupted. Can you imagine? Uh, you know, I don't think Joseph, in his wildest dreams, ever thought this would be his life. <laughs> I'm sure he had planned out a lot of things. Uh, He had planned now he's going to get married to Mary and we're going to do this and we're going to do the next thing and he had these dreams and aspirations and suddenly it's shattered, isn't that right? Disrupted. And that is true of every Christian. The coming of Christ, what is remarkable in the Gospels is that the coming of Christ brings suffering, brings shame, even murder of innocent children you see, the coming of Christ disrupts the world. It's not what we would expect. We would expect, well, if the Messiah comes, everything's going to be wonderful. Okay. Those of you who are Christians who have been following the Lord Jesus for a period of time will know that Christ has disrupted your life. Okay. We sang it the last song, didn't we? Crossed all the fair, all my fair designs. It's old English. All my fair plans, all my plans. Okay, <laughs> he's crossed them. All his desires. What did he? What, what did he expect? You know, walks on the beach. I don't know what. What was what, what he thinking? Uh, all the plans that he had, um, and now the Lord says to him, "Do not be afraid." Okay, and it's very interesting. Every announcement of the coming of Christ, the angels say this. They have to say this. Do not be afraid. When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, Luke 1.29, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. When the angels come to the shepherds to announce the coming of Christ, an angel of the Lord, this is Luke 2 verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with Fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Okay. And here the angel comes to Joseph and says, do not be afraid to marry Mary. Okay. So what I want to say to you, the application here is, and you can go through the scriptures, the fundamental, one of the fundamental emotions, whether the Lord is drawing you, maybe you're not yet a Christian, but the Lord is drawing you, you will experience fear about becoming a Christian. And even once you're saved, fear is a real thing. Maybe it's fear of, if I become a Christian, what will my friends say? Can you imagine Joseph's mind? What is everyone going to think? Remember, he didn't live in a big metropolis. He wasn't in Rome where nobody knew anyone. He was in a little village, Nazareth. on when jesus is in his 30s the pharisees say to him in john chapter 8 we were not born of fornication that shame that scandal stayed with jesus would have stayed with joseph his whole life anymore, the cost, the fear. And that's why the gospel over and over again says, that work on adrenaline. You see them for like two days, no sleep, millions of messages, and then they collapse. You never see them for two weeks, then they're back again. That's not how you're going to win a marathon. Okay. It's in it for the long haul. Sometimes in the Christian life, you'll just be crawling. Okay? <laughs> Sometimes you'll just lie down. Okay? <laughs> uh, but the, you carry on. And nowhere does the promise say, don't worry, it's, it's easy, it's going to be great. It's, it's, don't be afraid. Okay. Go, go this way. I will be with you. That's the promise. Not, I will make it all go away, but I will be with you. And so, if you're not a Christian, Christ is worth it all, I guarantee that. But don't let, don't let me deceive you. Your life will be disrupted. Some of you, your parents will, will reject you. Your children might reject you, your work colleagues might reject you. Uh, There are costs to all of these things. What does it mean to be a wife, to submit to a husband? Why does the scripture say, wives don't fear? Because that's a fearful thing. Peter says that. Don't be afraid, it's a frightening thing. Young people, don't be afraid. To be mocked at school, to be mocked at varsity, to be rejected. to th- Those, are, those are, are horrific things. But he is worth it. And so your life will be disrupted. But it will come to an end. It is worth it all. Christ is worth it all. Uh, anything of, of real value in our lives uh, gains that value through the cost. Isn't that right? Uh, if, you, if you work hard for a, save up for a vehicle, that's much more precious and valuable than if it was just given to you. If you work hard in your career, you work hard at uh, your health, whatever it is, those things, the, the results are, are worth the hard work. And so infinitely more with Christ. Now you're not saved by hard work, you're saved by trusting in the Lord. But when you truly trust him, means you will follow him. The angel says this, verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Isn't this remarkable? This is our last point, delivered. What incredible faith. The angel comes and declares and says, this child is, don't be afraid to take Mary. This child is of the Holy Spirit. She hasn't committed fornication. And this son, look at what the the angel says. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that God is the one who will save his people. It is God who saves his people. He uses judges and all of those things, but we're always told God saves his people. And so when we come to Jesus Christ, we're not told that Jesus... God will use Jesus to save his, his people. We're told that Jesus will save His people. Jesus Christ is God. He is the deliverer. He is the one who will save his people. And the Jews expected a political savior. That's what they wanted. And so it is startling that the angel says He will save his people from what? their sins. He will save his people from their sins. There has been, in church history, especially recently, uh, in the last sort of 150 years or so, people saying, "Well, if you just if that's your focus, your primary focus, then you're a fundamentalist, because the gospel is also about social justice and about many other things." and um, you know, saving the planet and all of these things. Now, let me say this. As Christians, if you love the Lord, that's going to affect how you live. Uh, You will seek to bring justice into every sphere of your life. Well, you should be. If you're an employer, that you are just and fair and kind and gracious. That if you vote, you vote thoughtfully and seek to bring biblical principles to bear. Uh, if you, 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 you are not littering and destroying the planet and uh, all of these kind of things, it will have an effect. But over and over again in the scriptures, that is not our fundamental problem. This would have been startling. Yes, okay, sins, that's nice, but really what we need is to get rid of these Romans. Okay? No, the Scriptures say, no, your fundamental problem is your sin. It separates you from the Lord. Okay? That we have sinned against a holy God. If we've broken His commands. We've sinned not, not just against one another, and we're all image bearers. But we've sinned against God blasphemed his name, dishonored him, not given him the respect that he deserves. And so Christ comes to atone for us, to to, to pay the price for our sins so that we can be set free. And, and Joseph believes it. Okay. Now, you know what many people would say? So you know, what does Joseph believe? Joseph believes that this really is a, a virgin birth that the conception of Jesus Christ is a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit. Modern, secular people would say, shame. Those poor, superstitious, gullible people back then. You know, rural area people, they're so superstitious. Uh, They they don't understand science. Uh, They they don't understand these things. They don't don't realize that uh, there are laws of nature and all of this kind of thing. Well, uh, C.S. Lewis writes in his book God, God in the Dock. Okay? The Dock is a I don't know if we really use it much now but it's, it's, it's the, if, you were, if you were going to court and you were in trouble you'd be put in the dock. Okay? And what C.S. Lewis was getting at with that title is you know, for centuries we were the ones in the dock. Okay? We were guilty and the big problem is we need to figure out how can we How can we pay the fine? But modern man has said, no, no, the problem is not us. It's actually this whole view of God. We're going to judge God. We're going to put God in the dock. Okay? And in this book, he deals with this whole idea of miracles. And he says this. He says, miracles, said my friend. Oh, come, science has knocked the bottom out of all of that. We know that nature is governed by fixed laws. And then C.S. Lewis says this. Didn't people always know that? Good Lord, no, said he. For instance, take a story like the virgin birth. We now know that such a thing couldn't happen. We know there must be a male spermatozoan. But look here, said I, this is Lewis. St. Joseph, who's he? asked my friend. (laughs) He was the husband of the Virgin Mary. If you'll read the story in the Bible, you'll find that when he saw his fiancée was going to have a baby, he decided to cry off the marriage. Why did he do that? Wouldn't most men? Any man would, said I, provided he knew the laws of nature. You see what Lewis is getting at. Joseph wasn't an an idiot. He wasn't just, you know, when she said, it's by the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, yeah, because we don't know where babies come from. Uh, They knew the laws of nature. You can't use that argument. They were just dumb and pre-modern and all of those things. No, they understood. They just believed there was something more than the natural realm. They understood that there was something beyond this realm. He goes on with the discussion to say, but that's breaking the laws of nature, and science has shown these laws. And Lewis says this. He says, science can't disprove miracles because it only deals with what we can, with nature, what we can see and touch, taste, handle. It can't Miracles wouldn't be miracles if they happened all the time, isn't that right? It would be something we could study. Miracle, by very definition, is something where it's an interference in the natural realm. Science can only tell us what ought to be. Not what always is. And he uses this great example, uh, C.S. Lewis. He says... Uh, because his friend says, no, no, you, you, you're saying it's like breaking the laws of mathematics, saying 2 plus 2 equals 5. And he says, no, 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 it's not like that. If you, I'm going to use our currency, because he uses British currency, but if you had 10 rand and you put it in the drawer in your bedroom, and um, the next day you put another 10 rand in, what would you expect to find in your drawer the day after? and say... So, For those not good at maths, (laughs) it would be 20 rand. That's what you would expect to find. His friend says, that's what I would expect to find if there was no interference. And Lewis says, exactly. If someone interferes and steals 10 rand out of your drawer, you will only find 10 rand. But the laws of mathematics have not been broken. He says, the laws of England have been broken. So you see, a miracle is God intervening. It's not irrational. It's not gullibility to believe these miracles that the Bible declares. And so Joseph believes. It's it's incredible. He believes what the angel says, and he takes Mary. He knew the shame and the cost, the rejection, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us, but we can imagine. We know what human beings are like. I'm sure there are people who didn't come to the wedding. I'm sure there are all kinds of things. What what went on in that little town? What went on with him for the rest of his life? All of those things. But he believes and he takes Mary and he names the baby Jesus. You see, one of the rights of a father, even those who adopt babies, is they get a right to name their child. Isn't that, isn't that correct? It's, it's, it's your child. You will name it. Naming is very important in Scripture. Child belongs to you. Your responsibility. And yet he loses that right. This is not your child. This is the Son of God. And this will be his name. Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. He is the Savior. And he is Emmanuel, we are told as well. God with us. So if you are a Christian, rejoice in that. Your sins, your fundamental problem has been dealt with. And expect disruption in your life. It's going to happen. Okay? Don't give up. Endure to the end. If you're not a Christian, you're afraid. That's okay. It's throughout the Bible fear is a real thing. If you're not afraid, if you think, "Oh, this sounds fantastic. I think I'll do it. I'll give it a go." You don't understand. There should be fear. What will my spouse think? What will all my clever, sophisticated friends think? But he is worth it. Okay. He is worth it and you receive eternal life and your conscience clear that all your sins are forgiven that you are right with your Creator and you have the gift of eternal life. And so don't, don't put off. Come to Him and be delivered like Joseph did. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh Father, we thank You so much for, for Your Word once again. So rich, so succinct. Just a few verses, and yet so much, so much meat here, Lord. We thank you for the example of Joseph. Uh, Often overlooked, but uh, what incredible faith he showed. Willing to count the cost. Father, we do ask that you would help us to be more like him. And Lord, if there are any here who are wrestling, who are afraid may you by your spirit speak to them do not be afraid and so we ask you can do only you can save only you can change hearts only you can whisper peace to our hearts please please do it father in jesus name amen As you can see, we're going to have communion this morning, and uh, just a reminder, communion is for those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, it is a, a meal, a, a symbolic meal, but uh, that does not mean it has no real substance or meaning to us. Uh, it is not purely symbolic. Those who eat and drink by faith are actually fed spiritually, are actually strengthened. We say it is a means of grace, a way that God uh, gives us grace to run this race. And so, meals in the Bible are very important. And there are many uh, facets to this meal, many ways that we could come at it. So, of course, meals are there to sustain us. Okay, without food, we die. Without spiritual sustenance, we die. And so this points us to the fact that only Christ can sustain us. Meals were also used to ratify covenants. And that's exactly what this is. A ratification of the new covenant. That we belong to Christ. That we are His. And you can go and read through the Old Testament. Meals are very important with covenants. And we even have something of this, an echo of it, I think. So in marriages, what is... What is it that most men look forward to? The meal. Okay. <laughs> uh, the food. It's a, it's, a, it's a huge part, isn't it? It, it goes together. Okay? There's the marriage and the feast. Even big business deals. Okay? Those in the corporate world, when a big business deal is signed, what happens? Everyone goes out for a meal. Okay? It's, it's, part of, it's a leftover from... Biblical times, it's the way God has made us. It's something beautiful to say, this is a covenant, let's rejoice and have a meal. Uh, it was a sign of, of love. Okay. Even today in many Mid- Middle Eastern cultures, if you invite someone for a meal, it's not just a small thing. It means I will defend you. You are my guest, and I will defend you no matter what. Okay? And again, we see that in, in this meal. We belong to Christ, and he will, he will keep us. And so as, as, you, as we eat and drink, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to minister perhaps one or all of those things to you, to be encouraged. This is what Christ is, is doing. He's sustaining us. He's promised to protect us. We can rejoice that we belong to him and we belong to, to one another. The Bible says that we must eat and drink in an appropriate way. Not perfect, but appropriate. So. We're going to just spend a few moments in prayer. If there's unconfessed sin areas in your life, you know you need to deal with. This is not to pull you down into condemnation and despair and hopelessness. This is to say, like I've told you before, um, what I, what I, my my soccer team, <laughs> the current coach. What I appreciate about him is even when they lose, he says. We're going to go to the training field and work on this. There's hope. We can fix it. Okay? This is not to say, I'm just useless. I keep failing and it's pathetic and I'm useless and I might as well give up. No. In Christ there is hope. Okay? So you say, Lord, this is not right in my life. But not with despair. With hope. Because you have the Holy Spirit and, and maybe you need to take different steps and you need to speak to someone. Yes, but with hope. And knowing that you're loved perfectly, and you know that you're loved, as we, even as we look at this, his blood that was shed for us, his body that was broken, this is what he did because he, he loves you. And so exa- let's examine ourselves, bring that to the Lord, commit to making any necessary changes, uh, and just rejoice in what Christ has done, and then we're going to eat, eat and drink together. So let's, let's just bow our heads and our hearts for a few moments. Father, we again say thank you for this communion meal. Thank you for what it symbolizes that you sustain us, that you will protect us, that we belong to you, that we are your people, that we belong to one another, that we are one body. And so we ask that you would help us to eat and drink by faith, trusting in you. The opposite of fear is is faith. Um, please please quench those fears. Please remove them and increase our trust in you, Lord. And so we ask as we eat and drink that we would be strengthened, that we would love you and love your people a little bit more and be changed a little bit more into your image, Lord Jesus. And so we ask that this bread and, and grape juice would now be set apart for holy use. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask the stewards to, to come forward.